sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 247 greetings from the linger longer invitational here in greensboro georgia yes i am back out on the road again really enjoying my time here watching some of the best teams in the country this week as they try to return to form after spring break so while i'm up here at reynolds lake oconee i definitely wanted to make sure we kept releasing episodes on a consistent basis we're off and running with a special monday episode here at the back of the range this week frankie zappin from florida gulf coast university finally makes his debut at the back of the range you know, one of those situations where, you know, I see Frankie all the time at tournaments. We always catch up and talk shop. He's always been a big supporter of the back of the range. And, you know, I've been trying to get him on, but, you know, schedules and travel and all that stuff. Well, Frankie and Florida Gulf Coast recently went up to the Tiger Invitational, Auburn's home tournament. And the boys from Fort Myers Beach, Florida, picked up the win at Auburn and Frankie snagged the individual title. So I said, all right, man, let's let's clear the calendar. Let's get you in here. Let's get this done. And I'm really glad we did. Frankie has a great story. He's jumped around a little bit in his travels. The Minnesota native has played collegiately at Alabama and Florida Gulf Coast, so we spoke a little bit about that. He's also a USGA champion. Frankie and Ben Wong were the first teenagers to win the U.S. four ball. And any chance, any chance you get, to put a Ben Wong story in an episode, well, well, that's what you do. As a reminder, follow Linger Longer Invitational on Instagram. You'll be able to see all the content that I create. And then, as always, back of the range, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We have new merch on the website, thebackoftherange.com, and we have some new merch on the way very, very soon. So make sure you're checking out the website. Let's get right to it. Frankie, finally. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. I always see you uh, out and about at all the best, uh, you know, amateur events, collegiate events, and uh, gosh, time at Merido and time at, God, I can't even keep track of how many tournaments we've seen each other at, but um, good to finally have you here on the podcast. We're actually recording uh, the day of the first round of the players here in 2022, and well, let's just start off and give the listeners some advice and some help with their game. So you're one of the best amateurs in the world. You're a golf fan just like the rest of us. You watch these guys on TV. Well, today we couldn't watch any golf for the most part because we had like a four-hour uh, you know, delay due to thunderstorms. So these guys are in the clubhouse at TBC Sawgrass, and they're you know hitting up player dining and whatever else is around. And um you're you're no stranger to delays. You've played in ton, tons of these big amateur events. What uh, what do you do in a long delay? What do you do to keep your mind straight? What's what's maybe the longest delay you've ever had to deal with? Ooh, that's a good question. Hey, um, we don't mess longest... around here, man. I've had a cup of coffee <laughs> today. I'm ready to go. I love it. Getting right into it. Um, I would say the longest delay is somewhere around three hours. And you know, when when you're kind of checking your phone, you have a somewhat of a good idea of how long the delay is going to be yeah. if it's going to be anywhere from 30 minutes to an to an hour um i probably won't do much just kind of chill maybe grab some water hang out talk with 
some of my buddies that are there. I know this this past year at the South Beach, we had a delay that was roughly 20 to 30 minutes. And I just hung out, sat with my dad, grabbed some water, hung out with uh, a couple of the Titleist guys that I knew um, were there. Um, but yeah, not, nothing special on those short delays. But the longer ones, the longer ones can almost be kind of fun in a way if you someone has a deck of cards or if you, you can kind of figure out some sort of game to play. There you go. Um, and then... When, like I said, when they're that long, then kind of the last 20, 30 minutes, just kind of stretching, getting warm up. Um, I use this device called a, an ARP wave um, that just kind of helps me get loose and get swinging. Um, so I'll probably slap that on for 15, 20 minutes and then get back right out there. Yeah, that's like, that's what they've been talking about. The trick is obviously you got to stay somewhat loose, but you also need to realize if you're going to be there for a while, you got to kind of calm down a little bit, but also not space out. It's like a delicate balancing act because you got to think a little bit about golf, but you can't completely check out and just start talking to your friends. But there's, there's just a lot there. So, yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're right. Um, I like, I like just kind of keeping it light. Anything just conversation wise, just some, sometimes if you get some courses with, with tough pins or, um, maybe kind of map map where the pins are and kind of what okay. you want to do once you get back out there. And, you know, your body doesn't always feel the, the same when yeah. you go back out. So maybe having different, uh, different strategy or different options for maybe some tee shots um, when you get back out there. All good tips. Well, you are, um, as they say, you you and the uh, the Eagles of Florida Gulf Coast University are trending, shall we say, just getting back from uh, from Auburn clean sweep at the tiger invitational where uh um you know the individual obviously individual medals medalist you pick that up and then uh, the team wins i think uh, both of you guys won i think you won the individual by about eight or nine team won it by about 12 or 13 somewhere in that neighborhood so this is your first career win as an eagle i think it's great we talked earlier and you said you know obviously this is you know jason duffner uh pga champion and um you know auburn alum he was there and I mean, war damn eagle, but it's just that didn't go his way, but it kind of did. But uh, yeah, how how was the? Tr- we'll talk a little bit about the about the actual play, but how was the uh, kind of the the trophy presentation with an Auburn legend having to hand the home trophy to these uh, to these kids from uh, from Fort Myers? How'd that go over? <laughs> Sometimes it's a little hard to tell with uh, Jason Duffner's facial expressions. Earth shattering comment by Zappin <laughs> right out of the box. All right, perfect. <laughs> But at the same time, you could tell there was he was a little salty handing it to a <laughs> to a different eagle, a different eagle team, um, which we we had some laughs about that with the team. Um, but yeah, it was it was just a great great win as a team. We come we came off uh, winning our home event, and then to go in there and and beat Auburn at their home course, um, it felt it felt really good. It was a great team win. I obviously had a had a nice week, um, but yeah, that was. It was fun. I, I really enjoyed their both the Auburn coaches, and they handled it really well. But I could tell they definitely weren't super pumped about it. <laughs> so let me see if I just have this straight. I just want to make sure I understand. When you say that you had a nice week, you shot 69, 64, 64, 19 under, 197 school record. Uh, that's a that's just a nice week. That's all. What would be a great week, Frankie? <laughs> I really wanted to get to 20. Oh, I see. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was it was a great week. Um, you know, the funny thing is that first round um 
the first nine or 10 holes, I was, I was playing. Okay. I made a bunch of pars and, um, our coach came up to me, asked me how it was going. And I told him, you know, it's, it's going fine. I just haven't had too many opportunities for birdies. And right around that time, I, I checked the score to see how our team was doing. And I saw my roommate who was playing in front of me, he was five under. Uh-huh. Um, and that kind of got me jacked up a little bit. And then I saw he rolled in about a 20 footer for Eagle on, on 12 um to get to seven under and when he when he got to seven under i was like all right like i I gotta start turning it on i gotta do something here and i ended up birding the hole that he eagled and then we got to 13 which is a dog leg left par five and it was there's probably 10 mile an hour into the wind and the first 12 holes i was hitting my driver okay nothing too crazy i was probably hit half the fairways and wasn't really hitting it hard just just kind of out there somewhere and one of the kids in my group said, I don't know if you can carry that today because it's 295 into the wind. Uh-huh. And when he said that, <laughs> I was like, okay, no, I, I got this. I, I'm just going to send one over that bunker. Ended up ripping one over the bunker. And after I hit that shot, it just kind of clicked. Um, and then was able to just uh, make a few birdies there coming in. I ended up making an eagle on the next par five to finish at three under. And then, you know, those 36 days, they can, uh, they can wear you out a little bit. So I just made sure to, to get some fuel, get some fruit, some food at the, I guess, after 18, and then just was able to piece together a really nice round in the afternoon to put me in a good position heading into the final round. So it was 69, 64 on day one, 36 holes, and then back it up with another 64 in the morning. Yeah. See yes, now, I, this is interesting because I had I had Brooke Matthews on the podcast uh, a while back, and I believe it was one of her final, really towards the end of her collegiate career at Arkansas, and she set a I believe it's an NCAA record. She had like twenty six birdies and an eagle and a one with a hole out, and just it was sixty three, sixty four, sixty four. So kind of in the wow. same. Yeah, she's not bad. So kind of in the same neighborhood, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because. You know, we, we we all watch the guys in the PGA Tour, and you see someone shoot 64 in the first round, and how many times do we see them come back with a 70 or a 71? Or you, you rarely see them back it up with the exact same number. So I always kind of want to pick the brain of the person that does that. So you had to sleep on the fact that you, you – I mean, you shoot 64, and then you come out and do the exact same thing. You're no stranger to going low, but like, what do you tell yourself the night before, um, and and also your prep in the morning? I mean, what is the mindset when you just you know went nuts, but you you got to go do it again, and you and you do it. So, do you remember what your mindset was that evening? Yeah, so I re- I remember um, I had I was just kind of laying in bed thinking about just having a four shot lead and. Um, this feeling of fear almost came over me for a split second. And um, I don't know if you've looked at my college career a whole lot, but I haven't had the most success. Um, And I've had opportunities to win tournaments, but it was usually from behind. Um, Maybe I was two, three back going into the final nine, made a couple birdies, was near the lead and just ended up not being able to get the job done. Um, But at that moment, I realized that, no, this is, this is actually my tournament. This is my tournament to win. Um, I've been playing a lot of good golf recently and um, I ended up, or I shot four under in our our home event uh, about a week and a half ago. And before that I ended up shooting seven under at 
at that same course um, that our home event was at. And I recently just played with uh, one of my old teammates from Alabama, Davis Shore, and ended up shooting seven under there. So I've, I've been playing a lot of good golf and I just, not many people had seen it cause it wasn't necessarily in tournaments. Right. Um, but I just kind of knew that it was, it was my tournament to, to go out and win. Um, and like I said, I've been playing some good golf. So I just kind of went out there and trusted what I was doing. Um, and that, that first hole, it's kind of, kind of a funky hole. Um, you hit like a five iron off the tee. And then after that, it's, it's a wedge. Um, my wedges this past week were so solid. Um, and I ended up hitting a wedge to probably two and a half, three feet on the first hole. And I looked at my, uh, playing, playing partner, who's a great, really good dude. He's, his name is James from, uh, Louisiana tech. And I said, Hey, may as well start off where we left off. Um, and then, and then ever since that, I just kind of got the ball rolling, was able to birdie the first four, um, with a four shot lead, which, which helps. Um, but then, then from there, I would just kind of settled in and was like, all right, let's just keep hitting solid shots and was able to just put myself in a good position. Um, the final, I guess, 14 holes and, you know, just kind of did what I was doing. Well, it's a great, uh, it's a great win. I mean, you made two bogeys in the entire, uh, 54 hole tournament and, you know, you know, Great that you started with four birdies uh, starting off that final round, but also closing with four birdies in the back, you know, a clean 32. That's uh, it's incredibly impressive. So congrats and congrats on that week. Um, let's talk about a little bit about the beginning, though. I mean, you're not you've mentioned Alabama. We're going to get to your 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 time playing for the Crimson Tide. But uh, you you're not from Bama. You're you're not from Florida. You're from North Oaks, Minnesota. How? Okay, so now we got to go back to the beginning. We're we're all out of sorts here. Um, North Oaks, Minnesota, about ten miles north of St. Paul. I know you played a lot of junior golf there, and you know you had a great junior career. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, how does one? When I think Minnesota, I think hockey. I think football. How does golf? Come, how does golf come into the picture for you? Well, first off, my dad made sure I I didn't play hockey. Got it. Um, smart. That's smart. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so kudos to, kudos to him for that. Um, but yeah, he, he just really introduced me to all sports, you know, golf, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, kind of really everything. Um, and I immediately fell in love with, with golf and, and football. Um, so when I was young, I would play golf for roughly six, six months and then football for the other half of the year. Um, and he made sure that when I was playing football, I wasn't touching my golf clubs. And when I was, and, uh, when I was playing golf, I wasn't throwing around the football. Um, so he, he did a good job of kind of balancing me out with playing those two sports. And I, I continued to play football and golf until I guess my fifth grade year. And that's when I started focusing on, on mainly golf. Um, I had some buddies who played soccer and, and basketball and I would, you know, just in middle school play, play with them and, play on the team but it wasn't anything serious it was more just for fun and to kind of take a break from golf um just because i feel like it's important to have some sort of balance yeah um i mean if you're playing golf 24 7 365 days a year it, it can get tiring at times um so that was mainly just for to get some balance and to have fun with my buddies because i mean i'm still in middle school and high school and i want to mess around play other sports um but 
Yeah, so being from Minnesota, it was tough to play year-round. Um, and right at that time, my dad ended up selling his his business, and we were fortunate enough to be able to split time between Minnesota and Arizona. Um, so I actually ended up graduating high school in Arizona. And ever since I was four or five, we kind of just went back and forth, summers in Minnesota, and then most of the year in, in Arizona, which was such a – it was such a blessing just being able to play um, when it was, you know, 20 below in Minnesota. Well, the other thing I'm thinking about too, first of all, I love the, I love the fact that you're talking about balance. Cause I know that you, I mean, you see a lot of juniors when you play like, um, you know, whether it's a Merido Amateur, Terracotta Jones, I mean, you see them Western, you see them everywhere. I think it's really important to hit upon like you, you know, I see some juniors that I could tell like golf is all they do. And, yeah. you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, a lot of different ways to go about this, but I think it's important too to have that balance because you just you can't at least in my opinion you you have to have something else you you have to have something else in in life other than just golf. Yeah, and it, it doesn't even matter if it's another sport or it doesn't even have to be athletics. It's right. just just some something to do. Um and one one thing I think you're seeing with a lot of guys on the tour now is they look more like athletes as opposed to strictly golfers. Yeah, you, know, you Yeah, they look like me. I understand. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there exactly. You go. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. They have to, you have to have something else and, and, you know, whether it's fitness, whether it's, um, uh, you know, other interests, whether it's business interests, artists, I mean, uh, you know, there's you see a lot of guys fishing, hunting, exactly. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have to have something else. So you have a great junior career. Um, I mean, really, you know, Toyota junior world cup and played Wyndham cup with AJGA Merido junior. I mean, just really the, this, this really great junior career. But, um, before we move on to what you did, what you've been doing in your collegiate career, any chance we get to talk about one of the best guys I've seen out there, uh, Ben Wong, we got We got to get a good <laughs> Ben Wong story and you're, you're probably one of the best sources you and Ben Wong. Oh won, my. You won the U S amateur four ball in 2017. That's only five years ago, but five years ago, I wasn't even doing the back of the range. I can't imagine how long that feels for you. Oh uh, my goodness. It's, it's, to a degree, it feels like ages ago, right. but then at the same time, it feels like it was just yesterday. Okay. Um, gosh, that week was such a blast. Um, I mean, you win that at Pinehurst, and you guys, I think, were like the first. You guys are really the first teenagers to ever win that, and I think that I think the U.S. Four Ball is really going to start getting. I mean, I think it already is, but it's really going to be dominated. I think by by juniors and and college players moving forward, but. Um, but yeah, you guys pull that off at Pinehurst. I mean, he's committed to SMU. There's the Payne Stewart connection and you guys just go on a run there. I'm not going to ask you about the shots and this and that, but, but give me a good Ben Wong story. I love Ben. He's at SMU. Just always a smile on his face. Give me a good Ben Wong story. Oh my goodness. I know there's some we can't talk about on this podcast. Everyone has but... those stories. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, gosh. It was this past year. Um, we were in, so we played the USAM four ball at Chambers Bay. We had a really good first day. And I think we, we shot nine under the first round. I can't, I don't remember if we were tied for the lead or one back. I think we were one back. Um, and we go into the second round and this is supposed to be at the, the easier course, um, which is called the home course. And it's, it's a lot shorter simpler golf course you know i mean 
in the USAM four ball, they take the top 32 teams and we were sitting in either tied for second or tied for third, something like that. So we're not worrying about the cut at all. Right. And we open up first hole. I hit one, right. I'm behind a tree. He hits one down the middle. And then I proceed to have to chip out. I'm messing around. I just told him, I said, just put me down for an X. Like I'm out of this hole. He ends up hitting the green three putts. So we start with a bogey, like, okay, that's fine. It is, it is what it is. You know, I mean, bogeys, you, you don't love putting a bogey on the scorecard, especially in a four ball, but we're, we're in such a good position that we're, we're not too worried. Next hole. I hit, I hit one left out and he hits one down the middle, ends up hitting in the front bunker and chips up, has probably, I don't know, 15, 20 feet for par ends up three putting. And at, so we start bogey double and go from nine under to six under. And I look at him and I was like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> I said, bro, like, I mean, we can make, we can make bogey, but do we really just take a double and a four ball? And he, he got, he was pissed and looked at me and he goes, bro, you're out of the hole. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can't be blaming me for anything. And I said, I'm not blaming you. I just can't believe you just made double from the front bunker. And turns out we end up having to get up and down on the final hole to make it into match play. And so I'll jump forward. We end up making it to match play. We lose second round against uh, Luke. Who's the kid who won the Merido? The Merido Am. Luke in Potter. One of really cool. Potter and Luke Summerhays. Potter and Preston Summerhays. We end up losing in extra holes and end up dropping my dad off at the airport, go to the casino. We both lay down $200 blackjack, lose it in five minutes and leave, go home. And we're just both just depressed. We were so sad after, after that, that day, it was the four ball with Ben is such a great event. Um, we have the best time out there. And I think that's why we've had so much success in that event, just because we love playing together. We love just the competition of the event and we kind of feed off of each other. And that was one that was just, it was a bit heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was, it was so fun. And, uh, I don't know, there's just so many little stories where he and I are giggling all the time or just, just having a blast out there on the course. Um, but that, that was definitely a funny one when we ended up losing and then blew 400 bucks pretty quickly, in the <laughs> casino and then just had to drive home all, all sad. Um, but yeah, there's never a dull moment with Ben. Now you guys obviously have this exemption from winning. I believe it's a 10 year exemption as long as obviously you both stay amateur. So, um, yeah, I mean, you have now this year it's at Birmingham. Are you guys playing in Birmingham? Unfortunately, we're not. Okay. Both of our teams look like we're going to get into regionals. Yeah. Um, and we, we kind of figured that that was our last year, which is why it was a little bit more right. heartbreaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, it was, that that will go down as I don't care what events I play in the future. That will always be one of one of my favorites. Well, you got you guys got your name on the trophy. They can't take that off of that. So that's uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, you have this great time at at the US Amateur Four Ball and your junior career, and now it's coming time. Obviously, we're going to play collegiately. So you commit to go play Alabama. This is, I mean, gosh, you know, one of the most storied programs in the country. 
Um, I mean, we can go down the list. I mean, we're the defending champion at the players, Justin Thomas. He's a product of Alabama, won a national championship there. And um, this is where you go. What drew you to Alabama as uh, the spot you wanted to, to play your college golf? I would say a lot of a lot of it had to do with the guys that were going to be on the team when I was there. I was fairly close with Wilson Fur, um, Davis Shore, um, and Ben Fuller is actually the one who introduced me to Coach Sewell and pretty much the whole entire Alabama um, program as a whole. So if if it wasn't for Ben Fuller, I would never would have gone there. So I give him a lot of a lot of thanks for just introducing me to to everything there. Um, and then for me, as a fan of football, I always wanted to go to a school with with a great football team. Sure. And I don't think you're going to find one better than than Alabama. So I would say those those were the main reasons. I love I love Coach Shewell and Coach Howell, who is no longer there now. Um, but those are just really great coaches and I just enjoyed, enjoyed, enjoyed their presence. And, um, Tuscaloosa too is, is such a great college town. Um, I just really enjoyed the vibes of, of being there and, um, living part-time in, in Arizona. Um, I love the desert, but being from Minnesota, I love the trees and love just the change in elevation and the weather. Yeah. Um, so I would say that, that those were the things that kind of drew me to Alabama. Um, yeah. Well, you had two years there. I mean, obviously, you know, academically, you know, handled, handled your business there, um, you know, all academic team and, you know, had some good finishes in Alabama. And now did they, did they pull the, the meeting of Nick Saban trick on you? I'm sure that that, that every, <laughs> I think, uh, I think the, uh, Dunlap, uh, Dunlap's going to get ready to go to Alabama. I know that uh, I think they've done that, but, uh, did they pull that one, that one out of the hat? The funny thing is they didn't. Oh. I think coach Saban was out of town, um, was out of town for something, but I actually have a funny story about coach Saban, um, oh. is, uh, so I never met him on my visit, but he would come out to the, the practice facility all the time. Um, and the, the coach Saban story I have is I was out there practicing and um, he's always struggled with his, with his chipping. So he would ask Wilson for, for a, a chipping lesson or myself for a chipping lesson. And he's, he's such an enjoyable person to be around, but you, you better not mess him up. No. Like he, he's out there trying to get better. Um, and that's the one thing I, I loved about him is, um, if he's going to go do something, he's going to do it to the best visibility. Um, and one time I was kind of helping him with his chip in and then I went and went to go hit balls and I kind of looked back at him and he was looking at me, kind of looked me up and down and I was kind of thinking, man, wh what's going on here? Yeah. And he ended up asking me if I wanted to try out and play, play, uh, cornerback. Oh my God. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. And <laughs> It was, it was a little ironic because that was, I think, late in the fall of my freshman year. And with how elite their training facilities are, I, I ended up putting on probably 15, 20 pounds of muscle. And I was about 212 with, I think, 12 or 13% body fat, which for me is pretty pretty good yeah um yeah i, I so know i, I know what that's I know, I, I know what that's like frankie I, I don't know why you're talking to me like i have no idea what that i know i deal with that every day <laughs> so i was filling out my large nike polos and 
I don't know. He, he was, it was, it was a good story. It was pretty funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Hey, just for, at some point, the, the Saban's like, Hey, so, uh, why don't you come out? Let's see what you got. So by the <laughs> I way, was you, 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 yeah, I was yeah, all for it. Yeah. I bet Sewell wasn't all for that either. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, is, is much muscle that you're putting on, um, no offense, but I think you might've gotten lit up pretty good by some of those guys. Yeah, I'm sure I would have. Yeah. Um, well, you spent two years there, and then you transfer to Florida Gulf Coast. And, you know, the transfer portal is actually we're kind of getting that time of year where you start hearing the whispers and the, the announcements of, you know, people transferring. I think I just uh, saw a notice that Hugo Townsend is actually transferring from Boise State to uh, to Ole Miss next year. So you hear these different things that come out, and and the whispers and, and moving, jumping from school to school. And, um, you know, there's, there's tons of different reasons behind why someone will, uh, will transfer. Maybe they want to go closer to home or maybe just, you know, a coach leaves or just, there's all these different reasons, but, um, talk to me a little bit about maybe what was the, the cause or reason, um, for you to move from, you know, a, a big program like Alabama to a relatively smaller program in comparison, Florida Gulf Coast uh, down in uh, down in Fort Myers, Florida. Yeah, of course. I think there were I think there were a few a few reasons um, behind it. Um, number one, um, I would say is when you're when you are at a school or somewhere, you kind of know if it's going well or if it's not going well. And um, I was just kind of at the point where it seemed like it was, it was almost a, a square peg into a round hole. It felt like, um, to where it just seems things weren't necessarily clicking, um, at that time. And I felt like I, that's kind of how it was going on for a year. Um, after my first semester, my freshman year, we were ranked fourth in the country and had a really solid team. And then Davis Riley or yeah, Davis Riley ended up turning pro and, since that happened, everything just kind of went into a bit of a, a bit of a tailspin. Um, and we, we really struggled that, that spring semester. And I mean, all of us, we were working, we were working our tails off trying to get better and do the best we could. Um, but at the same time, that just, it, it almost gave off a, a lot different vibe as to when I first short, first showed up. Like when, when I first got there, it was like, all right, we, we have the team, we have the talent to go out and, win the national championship right. and then once he left it was a bit of a gut shot and it it definitely hurt our team but at the same time we we were all pumped for him but then it just it was a little difficult for us to compete at the level we were competing at um in the fall um so i would say that that was that was definitely a big change that none of us were expecting um but then at the same time from then on it just things didn't necessarily feel right there. And I have all the respect in the world for coach Sheewell, coach Howell, and all my, all my teammates that were there. I mean, I just played golf last week with one of my old teammates, Davis Shore, which I think I touched on earlier. Um, and still love seeing those guys love playing with those guys. It was just, it was more of a decision that I felt, I felt like it was just right kind of in my, in my gut and in my heart. So, um, I mean, all valid reasons. And I think it's just important for, whether, you know, it's juniors um, that are that haven't even played college yet, uh, you know, parents of juniors, it's just another one of those things where you just got to kind of keep in mind where, you know, if you're, 
I'm not to put words in your mouth, but if you just don't feel it's the right fit, you have a really small window in your life that you're going to be able to play college athletics. And fortunately, there are there are ways to make a transfer, and which which is what you did. So I guess your advice to juniors or people entering college, you know, give me you know in your words, what would your advice be to you know a freshman that that looks at his freshman year and thinks, well, how how did that go? I mean, what would your advice be? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think that it's really important to fully immerse yourself into the situation that you're in. Um, I think it's it's really important to um, grow those relationships um, when you're at school with your teammates, with your friends, with your coaches, um, and really like dive deep into those so you can really tell what what's there and what you can not necessarily get out of it, but just what you can learn and grow upon from a day-to-day basis. And if you're not feeling like it's the best place for you after doing those things, then I think it's it's a decision that you have to make and um, just believe in, believe in yourself and believe in how you feel. And like you said, college is such a short time span um, in, in life. I mean, it's only four years, some guys five years, um, but at the same time, it's, it's such a short span that you want to get the most out of it. Um, and if you're, you're not in the place where you feel like you can do that, then you need to make a change. Well, you, uh, I'm glad we hit on that. You did make that change, as we've talked about. You're, you're at Florida Gulf Coast University. Let's, let's put them on the map, so to speak, a little bit. Fort Myers, you're right off of I-75. Your campus, sir, has its own beach. Um, <laughs> I mean, you can drive to the beach, but in, just in case you're not energetic that day, you have a beach on your campus and swimming pools. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot here. Uh, Frankie, but do you uh, do you actually go? Uh, do they have classes inside actual buildings, or does everyone just pull up a beach chair around their professor? How does how does it work at Florida Gulf Coast? Oh, it's all beach chairs. Okay, you're That's... required to have a beach chair your first day. I understand. Okay, so yeah. um, this has to be a just also. I mean, I understand Minnesota, Arizona, Bama. Now you're at this smaller school where it just. I mean, it's it's a different vibe. I mean, what how, what attracted you to you know what attracted you to the Florida Gulf Coast? I ended up deciding to transfer during the first part of quarantine. Okay. And during that first part of quarantine, one of my buddies who was at uh, North Dakota State originally, he had transferred to Florida Gulf Coast University. And when I when I saw him, I said, "Man, what what is FGCU? I had no clue." Um, you're talking about Van Holmgren, by the way. Let's let's talk yeah, about yeah, talk yeah. about that guy. <laughs> yeah, the the big guy. Yeah, the big, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was just I had just entered myself into the transfer portal, and he ended up coming down and staying with our family um, for two or three or yeah, roughly three weeks during that quarantine because he was stuck in Minnesota and not able to play golf. So he came down and was able to uh, to hang out and. Um, I was just asking him all about FGCU and how he was liking it because he had been there for a semester um, by now. And he was just telling me a lot about it. And I felt like for me, I couldn't have a better person to to be with, um, to be a teammate um, when I made that decision. And one of my other buddies who I, who I knew at the just a little bit but who's one of my best friends now he's also from minnesota is uh brady madsen um he's another really solid player like i said from minnesota so 
we we had three Minnesota guys on the team and um, it just seemed like being around those guys that it was it was going to be a great fit for me uh, moving forward and that's where I decided to go. Well, um, I, I will tell a short story. When I was at the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont, um, you know, there were a lot of obviously getting interviews, taking photos, you know, talking to a lot of players. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm six four, and normally I I'm I'm taller than just about every single player that I interview. Um, you know, maybe <laughs> maybe Hagestad has a little bit on me, but um, Van Holmgren is an intimidating person. Uh, he is he is. He, he is just a large individual, and uh, yeah, I was like, excuse me, sir, can I have an interview, please? Uh, he's a big boy. He is a big boy. And I'd be lying if I told you I haven't tried to take him down at times. Uh-huh. It, has, it hasn't always worked. I was going to say, how'd that go? <laughs> Not very well. Yeah, I, gonna... I can take down his brother, though. Uh-huh. If his brother listens to this, he won't, he won't like to hear that. Yeah, the, uh, the Alabama football team is full of Van Holmgrens, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the entire team. Um, yeah, he is, <laughs> he is, he is uh, a monster. Um, again, you're, you're at Florida Gulf Coast, and this is really – uh, it looks like it's got to be a really nice fit. And now I have I have joked many times here on the podcast with coaches and players, letting them know that hey, although I'm 45 years old, I could probably conjure up you know a semester of eligibility, and I could bring a lot of value to the team. I'm trying to talk my way into the team because you know there's teams <laughs> like Notre Dame that get to go to Seminole and Augusta National for practice, or there's teams that they're in Hawaii and Pebble Beach and. Now, I, I am not going to lobby you or Coach Andrew Dana for a spot on your team, and there's one main reason why. Your, one of your home courses is Old Corkscrew in Estero, <laughs> and I've played Old Corkscrew. Now, it's a great golf course, Nicholas Design, but from the tips, it's damn near impossible. They act, Do they still sell the T-shirts in the pro shop that says, I got screwed at Old Corkscrew? They do. Okay. They, they've actually sold out of them because I was looking at getting one the other day and they're gone. Okay. I think, I think too many people get screwed at corkscrew. Okay. That place is a nightmare. Now I'm sure coach Dana has qualifying out there for you. Now guys that listen to this podcast that play golf in the Florida state golf association, golf association, they're like, Oh yeah, I know all about that. There are people listening right now that have never heard of old corkscrew. Can you explain, maybe with a, a story anecdote, can you explain how much of a terror that place is? I'll do my best. And don't I'll say, say it's, it's not it's, for you because you shoot 66 out. Don't, don't <laughs> give me that nonsense. It's a nightmare. It's it's long, tight, grainy greens, and basically you're re if you miss the fairway. Yeah. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, now we have incorporated some... I guess now it's called penalty areas down the sides of the fairways. But when I first showed up, actually the first time I ever played old corkscrew, I played well and I shot 76. Yes. So that, that gives you a fairly good idea of, yes. of how difficult it was. And I happened to break a club on a palmetto bush when I was in the trees trying to hit out. Uh-huh. So that, yeah. So that, that gives you a fairly good idea of how difficult the course, the course can play. I now re- I will say when you play it more and more, you kind of get a good idea of, where you can and can't be yeah, right but for playing it the first time it's like you said it's near impossible yeah i just remember that place where you just you have no idea where you can miss and you can easily find yourself in a palmetto bush not very far off the fairway and you're you're completely screwed And if you can't find your ball you're obviously hitting again from the tee 
And um, I just remember like USAM qualifiers out there all the time. And like medalist would be plus one or yeah. even, or some, just like the best players in the area. And they, they can't, they can't break par. Yeah. Well, you just, you just said that, you know, not playing it for the first time, you, you don't know where you can and can't miss to a degree. You just can't miss in general out there, which I think, which I think is actually, it's nice to play there on a day-to-day basis, but at the same time to, to get some confidence, corkscrew is not, not necessarily the place to go. No, no, I'm, I'm, I will be an observer. I'll root for you guys, but I, I want no part of that. You know, there's a lot of great things at Florida Gulf Coast. And I mentioned there's the beach and of course, when I say beach, it's it's a sandy area right next to Miramar Lake. So I don't want people to think that it's literally right on the ocean. It's close enough, but not on the ocean. But you have all different types of sports there. You have the traditional, you have the basketballs and, and the soccer, obviously. But um, it, would you say that one of the more popular sports at Florida Gulf Coast, at least in your eyes, would be the uh, would be the women's beach volleyball team? I mean, are 100%. you? Are, I mean, season ticket oh, holder. Yeah. I mean, fan club, right? I wish I could be. Okay. The only problem is their season is during the same time as ours. So oh, it's no. tough to go to too many, but um, I am dating a, a girl on the, on the beach volleyball team um, for, it's been gosh, probably roughly a year and a half. Um, but yeah. So you mean, you mean so, ru- it's been roughly a year and a half, not a rough year, not a rough year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah so exactly. you're just trying to help you we'll, out here. We'll, kid. We'll, yeah. We'll clarify that. Okay, there you go. Um, but yeah, so we started dating back in November. Actually, kind of right during that uh, the Merido event, the the first one I played there. There you go. Um, and yeah, so so yesterday we ended up going to the beach. It was kind of a little bit of a spring break slash celebration day, um, and it was kind of funny because I wouldn't say too many guys on my team are too smooth with with the ladies. There wow. there are some. Wow. There are there are a few. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus no, in any way. Um, but yeah, so, so we ended up, uh, it was, I think four of her teammates and four of my teammates and then a couple other friends and we all, we all went to the beach. So I, I know the guys on my team, uh, appreciated that and, that's, and had some fun, that's but nice work. I'm just, I'm just trying to give them, give them a little help. You know? you're, you're just trying to just, you're, you're trying to just, you know, provide opportunities for fellowship amongst college athletes on campus. That's all you're doing. Exactly. If they want to take it and run, they can take it and run. If not, Hey, no worries. So, you know, I'm, people need to meet people. Yeah, exactly. I want to set them up uh, for as much success on the course as I do off the course. Good. That's just, that's just beautiful. It's bringing a tear to my eye. Just how devoted <laughs> you are to the, to, to your team. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> now we just got done talking about old corkscrew. I mean, history shows that you play well on difficult golf courses. We're talking about corkscrew. Mm-hmm. You won the junior at, at uh, you you won the Merido Junior. Um, you know, made the quarters in the Western. I mean, you you're great in match play. You you're you thrive on difficult golf courses. Not every course you pull up to is going to be your favorite. Um, can you pinpoint maybe how you how you succeed on tougher golf courses? I love the challenge. Okay. Um, for me, that's kind of how it, how it always has been okay. whenever it's, whenever it's rainy, whenever it's windy. Um, actually I haven't had a whole lot of success in the wind until this past week. It got fairly windy that, that final round in at Auburn's event. Um, 
but that was just a matter of kind of learning how to flight the ball and, and keep it down in the wind. You know, a lot, a lot of guys from Texas, like Cole Hammer and um, a bunch of those guys do a really good job of keeping it down when it gets windy. And I think ever since I've transferred here to Florida, you, we get a fair amount of windy days yeah. just kind of coming off the ocean. Um, so I think just kind of playing in it on a, on a regular basis has helped me um, just kind of get a feel for how much it really is going to move the ball or how much it's going to hurt the ball or, or help the ball. Um, being from Minnesota and Arizona, we don't get a whole lot of wind, um, especially in Arizona. Um, so just kind of playing it more and more and just being able to learn how to flight the ball and kind of hit windows. It's, it's really helped my game. Yeah. I think it's important to, to kind of have that mindset and I hope people kind of take that to heart because like, like we talked about, you're going to, I mean, gosh, you're, you're going to be at courses all over the country, uh, different grasses, different wind, different you know conditions, everything's, you know, everything changes and layouts are, you know, grasses are different layouts are different. And you, you, you can't just say, well, this course doesn't fit me. No one cares. You gotta go out and play. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, I, I tend to do fairly well on courses that are, are tough. The, the longer it is and the tougher it is, the odds are the more I like it. Um, and I don't know. It's kind of funny, but that's just like Merida is one of my favorite courses. And I know oh, probably crazy. half a dozen people, <laughs> I know probably half a dozen people that won't touch that place with a 10 foot pole. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's just kind of how I, how, how I've always been. Yeah. Merido, uh, Merido collegiate in September. That's one of the, I think that's probably <laughs> either, either Florida Gulf Coast's first event or, pretty darn near close i mean that's where the kickoff yeah. is that's that's a nice welcome like all right your summer's over well let's get back to work welcome <laughs> yeah no kidding you know we're talking a lot about you see a lot of juniors out there and and you know one of um you know this one of my even more favorite tournaments of the season that i'm kind of i'm going to be there again uh in in april is uh, the terracotta that's right down the street from campus that's uh down at naples national which i don't think many people enough people know about but that place is just oh my gosh that place is just phenomenal that that is easily going to be i mean is that possibly you know one of the is it an underrated tournament is it i mean i know we can talk about strength of wagger and all that stuff i mean that's a whole other episode but is the terracotta possibly one of the most underrated tournaments uh, in the country i think it is yeah i would i would definitely agree with you there i think it's i mean playing Naples national, it's, it's such a beautifully designed course. And I say beautiful because I mean, look at the tee boxes, look at the bunkers. It's in impeccable condition all the time. I mean, greens are rolling at anywhere North of 12 and a half, 13. Um, it's just so well manicured and it's such, it's almost, it's such an honor to be able to play a tournament there. Um, that yeah, I would I would agree. I think it's I think it's one of those tournaments that people maybe overlook just because of the timing. Yeah. Um, just because it's kind of in the heart of our, most colleges like spring schedule. Um, but at the same time, it's such a beautiful venue and such a well-run event by uh, Mr. Glass that I, especially being 20 minutes south of me, I, I can't pass it up. Yeah, it's a it's a great event. You're right. The scheduling of it, you know, that's kind of falling in between that. It's right around, um, uh, you know, conference championships is that's kind of where it kind of falls in that in that area. So, yeah, they some players aren't able to play it. And I think this year it's running up against the Coleman. So they're going to be missing a couple of the mid amps. But as a you know, again, it's it's going to be um, it's going to be a great uh, term and I'm, I'm looking forward to it now. 
I have a lot of memories from 2021. <laughs> I was at the Walker Cup, and I was at Oakmont and the National Championship. I have a lot of memories from 21, but one of my uh, more, well, this memory stands out, and it was for the Terracotta, and um, you were there, so you know exactly what story I'm about to share with the listeners. So um, the practice round day, there's actually a uh, member am running concurrently with it. And that's where I saw you last year, and you were playing with your dad and a few other people. And, um, you know, you're, you're about, I guess, maybe 10, 15 yards behind someone. And, and uh, we look down the fairway, and the guy in your group gets out of the golf cart and He's probably about 6'9". I'm like, who in the hell is that? Because his back was to me. And you say, well, Ben, that's that's Kevin McHale. <laughs> and um, and I, uh, for people that maybe are younger and don't know, Kevin McHale, you know, bas- Hall of Famer in basketball, numerous titles with the Boston Celtics, you know, Larry Bird, Robert Parrish days, Hall of Famer. And um, I'm going to let you take over on this story, but, uh, you know, I figured, well, hell, you know, I'm getting pictures of Frankie. I'm getting video of this, of that. Let's get a picture of a legend. So I've set you up. I've teed you up, no pun intended. Um, go ahead and, and take over from there on this story. Yeah, of course. So I'll, I'll give a little backdrop is uh, Mr. McHale is, or used to be members at the same course that we're members at in Minnesota. So I would see him all the time when I was, probably six, seven, eight, sure. um, just out at the course. And my dad, my dad ended up developing a, a really good relationship with him. So I've, we've known him for gosh, probably the last 15, 15 years. And he's, it's been pretty neat because he's invited us to games and just hanging out with him. It, it's, it's so special. And anytime you're able to talk to and learn from one of the best athletes of all time, it's, yeah. it's, it's really great. And he was coming down to Florida to, I think he was seeing if his, if Larry Bird was in town. And cause I know Mr. Bird um, owns a course, I think called the hideaway, which is in, in Naples. So he was coming down to see him and um, we invited him to come out and play in this, uh, this member am at the terracotta. And he, he was all over it. So it was my dad, Mr. McHale. And then one of my dad's other buddies, uh, Mr. Driscoll. And we were, it was 18, right? We were think, on 18. Yeah, I think it was very close to the clubhouse. I know that. Yeah, I think we were on 18, and 18 is kind of a – it's a par five, kind of dog legs left, and then comes back around right. And I was talking with you saying, hey, this is Mr. McHale, and um, you were looking at getting a good shot of his swing. Yeah. And I've, I've played probably a dozen rounds with Mr. McHale, and I've never seen him hit, like, shank a shot. And sure enough, you, you're up there probably 40 yards in front of them and probably 30 to 40 yards right of them. And I see you up there and I'm, I'm standing there. And all of a sudden I hear this just hosel rocket. I look up and it just, I, I don't know how it missed you. It had to be within two inches of your lens, maybe missed your head by, I mean, yes. no more than a foot. I, I wish you had a video of it because that thing was. I mean, you were almost gone. You were almost. Uh, we almost lost we almost, eulogy there on we, eighteen. We almost lost the back of the range. Um, I yeah. I remember looking at the viewfinder and you know getting in position, to take the photo, and I don't think I have the photo of it, but I definitely saw the white blur go right over me through the viewfinder, 
and then did you hear it? Oh, and I heard I bet it. You heard oh yeah, it. I heard it. Oh yeah, heard it, and then saw the. I mean, that's how perfectly in line the ball was with the lens that I saw the white blur, and I look up and he was horrified, and you were not horrified. You were trying not to laugh. Don't even lie. That's exactly <laughs> what you're doing. Well, once it missed you, I felt yeah. like that was once he's not dead, it's funny. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> oh, it was funny because, like I said, I've never seen him hit that bad of a golf shot. He's, I mean, he's a really good golfer. Yeah. I mean, just doesn't obviously, like, just he's a doesn't phenomenal like athlete. Just doesn't like photographers. Yeah. I understand. It's fine. Maybe on the on the court, I don't think the he cares with the photography, but Probably maybe you made him a little nervous there. Well, that was uh, that was a uh, you know I had to make sure we could share this story because I'm sure Mr. McHale is going to listen to this episode and, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if he's going to appreciate that getting out there, but you know um, that was probably one of the mo- more memorable moments of my year. Uh, not actually, not actually the only time that happened. I did have someone at the Jones Cup Junior shank one uh, to the uh, to the left of me, so he shanked it even he couldn't even it was worse than right over my head. It was to the right of me. And um, that wasn't that wasn't good for that kid. That wasn't good. That's funny. Yeah, I, I remember that. I remember seeing your face too. Yeah, I was just in little... absolute shock. Well, I, then I yelled out. I said, "Aren't you Kevin McHale?" That kind of lightened things up. So, <laughs> well, Frankie, long wait to get this done, but I'm really glad that you stopped by. Great, uh, great chatting. And um, yeah, it looks like you've you're on your way to a great end of your spring and hopefully a national championship and then lots of great things in the summer. So um, enjoy the rest of the year and I'll see you soon. And I appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate you having me on and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. And there you have it. Special thanks to Frankie Zappin for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Don't forget every single episode, merch, social media links, everything is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.